Every book I know from the Old Testament, Isaiah, Hosea, and the books you don't read, Elijah, Elijah, then Benjamin, five by five. Da 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 da. Uh, how you doing, Dan? Doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing extremely well. Are you? Uh, um, you ever been a Monty Python fan? I've seen most of the movies. I don't oh, know if I go so far as to say I was a fan. Okay, well, I, I will take that as an I'm a loser. Um, <laughs> uh, we used to actually, we had a jar. Um, I mentioned my, my uh, cool housemates I had in college. We eventually had to get a jar we had to put in a buck every time you made a Monty Python reference because it was just intolerable. I know people who've done that with Star Trek, and that's just sad. You know, mm. that's just, you know, that's a literary history. So, um there's a bunch of great documentaries about them. You can learn a lot. Uh, in your case, I'd recommend just starting by being an adult and watching their show, Idiot. But uh, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, I'm reading this straight off the Wikipedia. Uh, John Cleese did so much great writing before uh, Money Python. But uh, Cleese had a couple different shows he did, I believe, with David Frost. And he did a show, uh, I believe, if memory serves, it ran from the 15th of February, 1967, to the 7th of, I want to say, November <laughs> just this is just off the top of your head. Yeah, yeah. I, used to, I thought it was on Thames. No, I think it's on ITV. It ran on ITV. It was about 25 minutes long. There were 12, 16, actually 13. There were 13 episodes, if memory serves. And it was considered okay. of, of the format sketch comedy. Mm. Uh, show, David Frost, they called it Last the 1948 Show. Uh, and, uh, you know, David Frost, man, he didn't get the credit. Everybody remembers him for Nixon, but he did some really good, good stuff in the 60s, too. At last, the 1948 show. According to Wikipedia, it says um, the title referred to the BBC's habit of letting shows sit for months before broadcasting them. So I don't know if you saw – did you see the Twitter? Did you see what I put on the Twitter? I did. This, this, is, this is at last the quote-unquote inspiration show. Is that all right? Can we do that? I like that. Yeah. Because this is one you've sort of hinted at. You've implied what happened. Well – yeah, I mean, over my dead body. But yeah, I guess it's time. It's, it's time. You know, if we want to really juice these, if we want the kids to go and leave the five-star reviews, we have to inspire them, right? That's, that's, what, the, that's what you've been saying. <laughs> Do I inspire you? Be honest. Every time. Mm, you do it to me, too. Every time. It's the way where I got to stand up for a minute and move a little because... You know, it's, a, it's an old chair. What cha- kind of chair are you on? Old, old chair that my wife... Oh, God, thank God I have an office. The office has become a sink for everything that's wrong with me. Um, some of it gets out into the world because of the nature of my work, but it really is a, an abysmal dungeon-like place. I've said before, it's kind of like um, where the guy with the necklace li- lived in the basement in, in Silence of the Lambs. You know, I mean, I, there may be a girl in a well, like a kind of heavy girl in here, and I, I, can't, I haven't found her. I, don't even, I may not even have a well. I don't it know. rubs the lotion on its body. It does. It does. There could be a poodle in a basket and I haven't <laughs> even found it. I know there's, there's a lot of empty coffee cups and things like uh, blow my nose in. So <laughs> it's, I think of it as, as a studio for obvious reasons. So. How big? Like square footage? Uh, my landlord, I think he said it's 300 square feet. Okay. So, but it's, it's kind of like, a, it's kinda like a, a shoebox with trash in it and, and a big monitor. <laughs> And I got, I got my own bathroom, which is nice because I love to use the bathroom. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually really nice for, for the first – this is, by the way, I'm inspiring you right now, nerds. Um, I How many hours a day do you spend in this thing? Mm, mm, when it's clean, I spend more. I, um, well, already let's, get, let's accidentally get into the, what the show is about. Okay. I, think, I think mixing it up and going different places is um, – Really useful. I hate even calling that inspiration. Can I just stipulate, Dan? Uh, there's, obviously, there's going to be lots of yelling at people in order to get to the inspiration because that's just how I roll. But, okay. um, but seriously, I think if you're feeling 
a little bit um, stuck. I think mixing it up, I think that's number three on my list I made here on my clicky keyboard. Mixing it up. Um, and that can mean a million things. That can mean trying different things. Um, that is, that is a, a sophomore to junior level trick. We need to get through the freshman stuff first. Uh, but I like going different places. And the best advice I can give to anybody, especially if you work in a cube, especially if you work in an office, is to get the F out of your office. Um, first of all, you can no longer blame distractions. You can't blame your fellow employees. You know, if you can't go sit in a park and work, then you can't work. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's really not, for myself, I mean, there really is no excuse. I've got a MiFi and a MacBook Air. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Anywhere yeah. that has electricity and air, I can do my job. And uh, to be honest, I mean, we talked about this, we have to mention, the marathon two-and-a-half-hour episode of Mac Power Users that David and Katie were kind enough to have me on, uh, which was released this week. Really, Dan, seriously, nerdy, like painful. I love it. I'll, you didn't listen to it, though. Not yet. Yeah. Save that stuff for, for when I really have uninterrupted time. Yeah, yeah, like, like a year. No, no. With all this stuff that's been going on with the house, I haven't, I haven't been able to really sit down. Like, I haven't watched your your video yet, the new video that yeah. came out of your talk at uh, Webstock. Yeah, yeah. I look like a, I don't know. I don't know if I'm more like a hobo or a pussy, but I, I do cry a lot. Like, just big hobo pussy. <laughs> so, were, was cry, were you anticipating crying? Because that's what everybody tells you. Oh, he cries. Like, this is this is the sell for me. This is you've got to watch it. Why? Well, Merlin cries. Yeah, it's like seeing the clown. Oh, well, like I better clown. go watch it. It's like then, seeing yeah. the clown finally get hit with the ball. You're like, you had that coming, guy. <laughs> you, did, you weren't really in that car, idiot. Um, we should we can round around back back to that. But no, this is the thing I did at Webstock. It went up. Like I said in that post on on forty three folders, I'm not sure if it succeeded. I've I watched it numerous times to try and figure out if it was any good. I was kind of feeling so weird, and I'd been kind of sniffling all day from crying a little bit. <laughs> trying to rehearse it without crying that uh i i was i sound like i'm on coke and my countryman mike keeps falling off and it's very distracting chris countryman he must have a head like a bowling ball and very <laughs> adhesive ears this is the headset mike you're talking yeah, about one of those douchebag brown things people make you and go this is just what we do uh, but I, Wait, I thought i thought you said webstock was so good now no it is good i but you know you can't blame the country you can't you can't blame the country man i do no they were great it's not their fault they were god they were fantastic um but, no, I mean, um, it's worth watching, I guess, if you want to see me cry. It's pretty cool, you know, if you want to see me taken down a pig by myself. But, you know, the whole notion of the talk was that everybody's scared. And I, the whole reason I did the talk, such as I did it, and what I did it about... Um, uh, Are you going to cry again? <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't cry. I don't cry that <laughs> I do cry. I cry four times during Toy Story 3. Um, every time, but, uh, you know what it was seriously, it's, it was a pretty good talk in, in, up, you know, I, I've been thinking about what I knew would be a pretty good talk because I had to be myself in front of people, but it, it's, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, but what made it really good was some participation from my friends who were there and that's, it was their courageousness that made it a good talk that me sitting up there and whining about my dad dying is, is, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's really like first week of poetry class kind of stuff. Um, but the whole thrust of it was that, uh, cause I knew the vibe in the room was for, for whatever couple days had been, holy God, I'm never going to be any Doug Bowman. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be any John Gruber. I'm never going to be any, you know, whoever, <laughs> you know, Amanda F and Palmer. And then I think it was kind of, to be really honest, I think it was nice for people to hear that they're scared of things too. 
And that was kind of the thrust is that we're all scared, which is the most stupid and trite thing in the world that you need to hear today. So that's why I did it. And I, as far as like overthinking it and quote unquote knowing I was going to cry, I tried hard to find exactly the right balance of what I could do, but would be hard for me because that's what it needed to be. If it was too easy for me, I could be up there and glib and yell at people like I always do, but it needed to be something that was going to be hard for me. And yeah. so whatever, I mean, it, it is as they say what it is. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty good. But uh, what's the point? Two conversations back. Oh, yeah. The, um, and talking to Dave and Katie, and really seriously, for all this like, uh, I, you know, Dan, you can't please everybody. I don't know if you're aware. You sure can. No, I can't. I, 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 I've posted two things in the last, on Sunday and on Monday in the last, that represent the extremely highest level of thinking that I'm capable of, short of like becoming some kind of Eckhart Tolle, head up your ass person, with all respect. Mm. Um, and on the other hand it's the most granular down in the trenches stuff why I use the letter X in naming text files really and like if you can't, <laughs> you can't find something in those two things I'm probably not <laughs> your cup of tea <laughs> no I mean down to like down to like setting preferences and stuff but, what, but the thing we talked about that I think is huge it was a kind of an overarching I don't know um, pattern in the show I think is that some things work for some people and um, very few things work for everybody. Right. But I think one thing is a, when I say a pattern, I'm really abusing that Christopher Alexander word. But at a, at a high level, I think switching it up is never a bad idea. Whether it's switching it up in your life, switching it up in your approach, you know, uh, the way you become calcified, the way you, as I said in that Webstock talk, you know, I think I said that the, uh, the music industry is rolling around the coffin thinking they're doing the Watusi. They have no idea how dead they are because they don't understand how much the world has moved on in a way that they no longer have control over. So maybe they're working off the books or working off the record. Maybe they get some kind of skunk works coming where they're all going to become Amanda and, you know, Jonathan Colton. I kind of doubt it because I don't think that's what their Excel spreadsheet wants. But the truth is you can look at this at any level you want. You could look at it at the level of, like, again, back to that talk, oh, me, oh, my, something sad happened. Kismet Abbey wouldn't go to the Congress skating rink with me, and therefore I can never make it anything cool. Or you could look at it at the very most granular level of saying, you know what? And, boy, this is the section I was working on in the book this morning. I really, really do need to learn how to oscillate between my time and attention. Sounds so stupid. Sounds so hippie. But, my Christ, I cannot get away from this. Um, if you take it, as I do, that time is the resource for making things and the atten attention in some ways is the resource for knowing whether you're making good things. Well, you know, I think one of the biggest hangups we have and one of the reasons people become so obsessed with things like inspiration is they've way overused their attention, sometimes knowingly and often not. And I, well, I was going to say, how do, you, how do you know if you're doing that? That's what I, why I call it the art of art. I, I think, and you know, this is something Michael Lopp has written about, I think, very effectively. But here's what it comes down to is, Dan, you strike me as somebody who does not suffer from this in the same way that I do, we talked last time about how you just knew something was out of scope, a feature that would be a nice to have, in this case, a new property, a new show for you. Isn't there, don't you have some kind of an internal barometer? Take something you're really good at, you know, Rails programming or, you know, banging your finger. Isn't there something <laughs> that tells you when you need to be doing something differently? Or put differently, when you need to do something different to, to make a nuanced distinction. Yeah. Isn't there a time when you know I've been sitting here buying too many controllers and now I need to do what? Do some testing, play with my kid, get some iced tea. Isn't there something that tells you? There, yeah, there definitely is. Well, how do you do that? How do you know? 
That's a, that's a very good question. I think exactly. It, just, it feels <laughs> it feels unconscious, right? It is. It is. It comes straight out of the expertise, experience, repetition issue, right? Again, I'm sorry to all. I'm not. I, I, I love this metaphor. I, I can give you all the tips in the world about running. I can. You can read reviews of running shoes all day long, but until you run a little bit and then more and then further and more often and every day and again and again, all of those tips are going to be pure abstractions. They're going to be purely good ideas, you assume, but it isn't until you start running a lot that you will really understand what running is. So in your case, this goes straight back to the Richard Dreyfuss model in a lot of ways. It's very difficult to explain things involving expertise to people in a way that isn't purely abstract until they've done enough to understand that it's actually very concrete which will probably sound really abstract unless you know what I'm talking about, in which case it'll be completely concrete. Oh, this recursion is so recursive. In your case, you've done something enough, right? You've addressed a problem enough that in a way you can't understand, you get, you get a gut thing, right? Yeah. Isn't that, is that kind of it? You, yeah. In my case, I mean, I, I, I love this. I had to stop writing this to come do our show, but um, I had this, I don't know, I'm sorry. It's hard to talk about the book. I have a deadline. Um, I, I like this idea, though, of the oscillating because I think – so like I say, you use your attention too much, right? You've checked Wikipedia. You have consulted your colleagues. You've looked over previous versions of things. You have gotten so much information and so much input. Um, it was on this show that we were talking about the thinking stuff, right? The thinking, gut, hand, all that stuff. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Moving, moving the hand. Your name is Dan. Is that correct? Do you like Dan or Daniel or Danny? What do you like? What's your name? Whatever you, whatever you want. Dan and is fine. You know you have for two, the, you know the, have two Old Testament names. Do you have a third Old Testament name that I don't know? Uh Paul. It's my middle name. I think your middle name should be Ruth. <laughs> I don't think she gets the attention. <laughs> or, or just not as, not Esther or just uh, you know maybe maybe judges. I don't know. Um, <laughs> how about Hebrews too? Could that be your middle name? Yeah. Oh, Old Testament jokes. I um, agree with myself that the thinking thing uh, is a wonderful thing that gets in the way, right? I think that for most of us who are, perceive ourselves as being smart people, we're always going to fall back to the attention side of versus the time versus the attention. So to, to, to quote, quote myself for a ninth time, um, if you only manage your time, you're never going to make stuff, let alone good stuff. Wait, let me start over. If you only manage your attention, right, you're never, <laughs> I forgot my own cliche. This is brutal. If you only pay attention to stuff, let's put it this way. If you only pay attention, if you only get information, if you only think about the process, if you only do all of that kind of self-abuse, the intellectual self-abuse about the creative process, well, then you're never going to make anything. You're never going to make anything great, especially. But, you know, too much time application means you won't make anything Great. Do you know what I mean? You won't make anything if you don't apply time. You won't make anything great if you don't apply attention. And the, and the thing is, of all of the things where there is no answer to this, there's no one answer. Yeah, but there's no an answer. There's no answer. There is no answer to this. It's, and, and, and to get back to the inspiration stuff, well, let's, let's talk about that and talk about some good ideas for things people can do today to feel more, quote unquote, inspired. And I, I can't use that word <laughs> Without air quotes. Um, you know, I've said before that, you know, that, that crack about, uh, oh, what is it? It's, I, usually, I actually use this on 43 folders. Um, you know, joining a Facebook group about creative productivity is like buying a chair about jogging. You know what I mean? And I think <laughs> using inspiration to get started on a project is a lot like going to sleep to wake up. 
You know, it's inspiration is, is an excellent second, third, fourth, or fifth step, but it's actually ironically enough, horribly enough, painfully enough. It's a terrible way to start anything. Inspiration. I'm world. Feel free to disagree with me. Look, I, I saw a thing on Tumblr yesterday. I can't decide if what kind of porn this is. I don't know if this is penis porn or writing porn. But I saw a picture in my side rail yesterday, one of those everybody retumbled this pictures, and it's a cute girl in her underpants sitting in front of a typewriter with a pile of Marlboros on one side and a, pot, and a bunch of coffee cups on the other. And it got retumbled 5,000 times. Wow. I, ho- I hope in abject irony because that right there might be the summation of everything with, that's wrong with why you think that's an interesting, cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather you jack the mean bone to that than imagine that's going to help you start your play. Unless your play is about jacking the mean bone to a girl in her underpants. And there is nothing wrong with that. Can I just say, Dan, that is very inspirational. You know, people used to think that erections were full of air. And as Aristotle has pointed out, you know, inspiration is literally bringing in air. So in a lot of ways, writing is like filling your penis in a lot, on a lot of levels. The problem is that's not a great way to get started. Um, you do need to change your modalities, but you also need to change your approach. And to get to the real ninja level of this stuff, which I assume on some level most of you would like to do, um, I think you need to get to where, where Dan is, to where, as I say, the old butcher is, where the old butcher knows why the, knows the roast beef weighs two pounds, but can't tell you why. I learned about that from Richard Dreyfuss. But, the guy from Jaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think you're thinking of Robert Shaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't he the guy who calls everybody chief? That's Robert Shaw, right? Yeah, that's okay. him. Who is the guy who made the mashed potato sculpture? That's no that that's is... Shutter. That's right, Shoy Shutter, who was in all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah, with Polly Shore. <laughs> God, move complicated. <laughs> no, no Have you ever made a mashed people. potato sculpture? <laughs> I, saw the, I saw them open for the arcade fire a few years ago. <laughs> they were very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were right after Men with Lutes. That, those guys were great. I mean, Men Without Lutes. <laughs> they do the unsafety. Right. Okay, let's start over. Everybody in their 20s right now has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Welcome to Minute 19 of yeah. Strokes with Middle-Aged Men. <laughs> you smell burning toast? Pie motorcycle chocolate. Mm, Virgin Mary. Uh so we can talk about inspiration. Um, you know, let me check my notes to see what I'm supposed to yell at you about first. Um, we can come back to that. Um, I just want to—I just want to stipulate that I think I, I, seriously, like I like I uh, like I, I like to say, I think I'm more practical than I get credit for sometimes. I just think I think I'm practical about practical stuff. I, I'm 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 very not practical about impractical stuff, and and that's not easy to vend, and that's not easy to market, and it's not easy to read. Um. And, and so, so, again, I just want to bracket all of this to the point where you're probably going and listening to something else or maybe, you know, buying a more effective hammock at this juncture. But, uh, but let's talk about inspiration. And, and, and maybe let's start with a, just a tiny little bit of meta stuff. I'd like to talk a little bit about what I think it's good for and what it's not good for. And then we'll get to the tips and tricks. Does that work for you? It does. Now, okay, so let, let me, let, let's ask Dan, uh, Dan Ruth Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Ben Benjamin. What? Yeah. Um, give me some examples of when inspiration has been a great thing for you. Like uh, if, you know, I watched a movie and went right to bed. <laughs> Had a good dream. That woke kind up. Of filling with air? 
Yeah, I I can't give you an example. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, 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 I feel the same way. I feel the same. I've never. Way. You know, I hear you hear people say like they went and heard a talk or they heard, they listened to a, you know to a talk by somebody and they felt I, very inspired. What I think what I think that is more than anything is is uh, is that they hear something and whatever that thing is that they heard clicks with them and tells them you don't need to be afraid or you don't need to be you don't need to impose those rules that you thought were there and I, for me inspiration in that sense is is a is something you can get from from listening to somebody or hearing something or seeing something or reading something that basically says rethink the limitations that you've already imposed on yourself right that's that's a really good subtle way to put it i agree with you um i mean i i didn't i asked you that question for a reason if you ask um a lot of people who actually make a lot of stuff about how they're inspired. Um, I think a lot of them will say by, by my colleagues or by people I admire. Um, but I think when they say that, they mean by the work of the people that I admire, right? Um, and it's not necessarily by how they think about their work that inspires them. In some cases, sure. Somebody like, you know, what's his name? Um, his name Goldsworthy, the guy who like makes, makes art out of ponds. You know, that guy's got a really, uh, in an actual sense of the dictionary sense of the word, he's got a really unique approach. He sees the world in a different way. Captain Beefheart, the late great Don Van Vliet, he he saw the world in a really different way. Just <laughs> go, we'll put this in show notes. Google for his rules for guitar players. It's, I mean, <laughs> or just go watch Beefheart on Letterman, and you go, man, this guy is just—he's playing from a different sheet of music. Captain Beefheart's rules for guitarists. Yeah, yeah. What about the one Found with the hat? It. How about the one with the hat? Or the bush? Read the bush one first. I'll put these in the show notes. Yeah, let me find that. I think he says, play your guitar in front of a bush. You got to wear a hat, right? Practice in front of a bush. Wait until the moon is out, then go outside, eat a multi-grained bread, and play your guitar to a bush. If the bush doesn't shake, eat another piece of bread. (laughs) Oh, man. Captain Beefheart, he kept his band. He kept the magic band. It was basically like a Jim Jones-type situation. He kept them in a house for, I think, six or eight months, subsisting on a diet of beans. As, as the, I think as the mascara snake says, beans is all I eat. No, Rocket Morton. That was Rocket Morton. Uh, Rocket Morton. And so anyway, when they went into the studio with Zappa, they recorded the entire album. This, one of these ridiculously, most ridiculously complex albums of all time. It sounds like we're just making it up, but it's, everything there is meant to be there. Uh, and they did it in like eight hours. And Zappa's like, uh, you want to redo any of those bits? And he's like, Rah. he wouldn't even wear headphones. He would only sing through reverberations in the wall. So he's a little, you know, late on all the phrasing. But, you know, sure, you can look at somebody like that. I, I think of somebody, I'm trying to think of somebody, like for, for, for me, um, reading that Twilight Tharp book, The Creative Habit, that was very inspiring to me in a lot of ways, in part, heavily ghostwritten, but a uh, wonderful book full of extremely practical stuff. I'm sorry, you can hear my tea maker mixturating. The, uh, but it's full of practical stuff. The idea of having a box, you know, she has these banker's boxes that she uses for every project. She throws stuff in. Um, that's a great book. That's a very inspirational book. Now, if you don't use it, you're an idiot. If you don't actually go make stuff as a result, uh, boy, there aren't many books more inspiring to somebody who wants to be a writer than Stephen King's book on writing for a variety of reasons. Uh, boy, talk about a work ethic. Say what you will about his fiction. This is a man... I mean, he sits down and he writes 3,000 words a day because that's his job. That's his job, you know? Boy, I, you know, for somebody, I mean, he was, he was a millionaire when most of you guys were, you know, wet in the bed. And he never needed to write another word in his life. But he kept writing every day because that's his job. And you want inspiring? 
how about being at the top of your game and getting hit by a van because some guy's yeah. dog was trying to get meat out of a cooler? Go read that. He started the book on writing when he was just another millionaire novelist, so to speak. No, no offense. I love the guy. I love it. I, I love the stuff he writes for like Entertainment Weekly. I think he's a riot. Love to meet him someday. Um, if you're a fan, Stephen King, sure he's a big listener. Yeah, he listens. I'm sure, sure, he listens. sure. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's walking down the road. He takes a walk every day, and he got hit hit by a van. And you can read it. The story's just. It's. I. I can't read it without just. <laughs> but then uh, he had all these pins in his leg and he almost died and he's in excruciating pain and his wife his ideal reader his wife went and set him up this little desk not so different from the desk where he would write under the steps like when he was writing his early novels you know in abject poverty and uh and he could barely sit down from the excruciating pain and he sat down and wrote well johnny you better find that inspiring because that's not inspiring in the sense of some chicken or underpants smoking cigarettes. That's inspiring in the sense of that's, that's how you work. You work because that's what you do. And that's inspiring, right? Um, we should get to the, uh, to the granular stuff. I, but, Dan, I ask you that question for a reason about what inspires you. Because, you know, when I went off on whatever that was, um, S1E6, where I went off on the whole show me what inspired you to make something. Yeah. Let's take a slightly more humane approach to that. I mean, I don't want to come off one iota from what I said in that episode, which is that inspiration is great for getting you over the hump. Uh, inspiration is great for helping you push out more product. Inspiration is fantastic for helping you synthesize, right? You've got synthesis and you've got analysis. Uh, sorry to go all Hegel on you here, but this is true. Synthesis is how you bring together ideas. It's the ultimate act of creativity in some ways. Creativity at the heart of it is to take two ideas that didn't used to be related and to make them related somehow. And that's, boy, you can think about that in, a, in a, so many ways. Uh, analysis is thinking. Analysis is breaking down something big, a gestalt, if you like, breaking it down into parts. And analysis is great. Like if you're an engineer and you need to figure out how an iPhone's put together, you know, you need to do it, what do they call it, a teardown, right? Yeah. You're not going to understand how an iPhone works by thinking about it a lot and looking at it. You're going to have to actually tear it down. Unfortunately, when you're done, all you're going to have is a pile of, uh, pile of parts from China, you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, analysis is great. Analysis is a form of thinking. That is a form of breaking down. Thinking is not writing, right? Thinking is just thinking. As I said, you can't think your way into a book. You can't think your way into a novel. Uh, analysis is great for when you're in the attention mode, right? So yes, go watch that video. Um, you know, go see Sir Keith talk about education. You know, go read Michael talking about the nerd cave. Go, read, go listen to Dan and Merlin talk about what's fine for me. Like, that's great. Like, if all that helps you, use your attention in that way. I, boy, I, there's, there's no way I can, again, this is real Zen master stuff, but I'm serious. It's okay. Go use your attention. You have to. You're never going to make something cool if you don't use your attention. Go find out what Frank Shimero says about creativity, right? Go, you know, you want to be inspired? Go watch that video. Uh, he's past his prime. But go watch that video of Pablo Picasso just drawing or like I guess he's technically painting but just drawing on a piece of glass over and over again and you just see that his intuitive understanding of how the line should look how do you teach that to somebody how do you teach somebody how a line should look well I mean you can tell them stuff you can show them which pen works well you can help them understand how other people have approached that problem but it's going to be really hard for you to do what Picasso did until you go do what you need to do you know, you go look at some of the early um, Dali paintings, the really early stuff from the 30s. He used to use a brush with a single hair. 
if you go in, there's a really actually Dan, if you ever get the chance in St. Pete, um, there's a pretty good Dali museum. I've well, been there. It's pretty cool, huh? It's pe- really cool. People rush over to his giant the Toreador and stuff that other people painted for him. But if you go to that little left wall chronologically, first you see the like post saison looking stuff, and like pretty soon you're like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. This is a very tiny painting with a lot of detail. So for me, I could tell you to just go out and buy a, a, a one hair horsehair brush and then think about eggs and erections. Um, great autobiography, um, Dali. But uh, you know, really, you're gonna have to go paint. You know, it's inspiring. Be inspired by the quality of the work and the quality of the work ethic and, and not by the paintbrush that you used, unless that works for you, in which case just don't listen to me. Um, and that's why I say, so, so as far as getting this part out of the way at minute 30, uh, inspiration is great for getting over the hump. It's great for pushing out stuff. And it's great for expanding your palette, if you like, right? If you are somebody who is primarily, let's take a practical case. Let's say you're somebody who has one of those uh, cube jobs we've all had. Maybe you're somebody who's got a blog or you enjoy writing. Maybe you're looking for that, as, as Gruber and I have talked about, maybe you're looking for that second angle. Maybe you've got a topic you like and now you're looking for your voice. Maybe you've got a voice that you're satisfied with but you're not sure what to write about. Well, that, in that case, I think inspiration can help. Um, the, but in that instance, you're going to have to flip that inspiration pretty quickly into a draft, right? Uh, in order for that to turn into something that actually yeah. improves your work and I was thinking today about a, a really a practical example I'd never thought of in talking about attention versus time. I think for most of us, let's be honest, when you talk about procrastination, you talk about all these things, distractions, and all these things people uh, offer as the complaints of, of why they aren't where they want to be. R- real things, let's you know, stipulate. Uh, I think that's frequently because of using too much attention and not enough time. What's less well-known is spending too much time on something without getting the right amount of attention. As I said, this is how you end up making flea market art. You could become very productive at making stuff that is just complete crap if you're not using your attention well. And also think about this. Think about where you have procrastinated too long. God, I so did this in December. And now you got a deadline coming. Oh, I might as well, to quote the great Larry Miller, oh, I might as well just stay up all night now. Right? <laughs> the last time you, as, as somebody in their 30s, said, uh, I might as well just stay up all night. Like, did that turn out great? Did you actually produce your best work? Or do you fight the lizard brain? And you know what? I think instead I'm just going gonna to go to sleep and know that I will get more out of sleep than I will out of pretending like I'm doing something. Right? Now, what told you it was time to go to sleep? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Fighting the lizard brain is not something you're going to buy you know, a pill or a hat for. That's just something that'll take time. But in that instance, if you had just worked harder, believe me, as somebody who was spending 18 hours a day on a book in December, I was not doing my best writing. I lost, I lost the confidence and I lost the voice and I lost the emotion that if, if you like what I do is probably the reason you like it. It's because it sounds like me, right? Whether it's a blogger or a writer or a singer. So how do you, how do you lose that? I think you lose that when, I think in some ways that, again, back to this idea of the two sides of the mountain. I think when you listen too heavily to the mean dad voice that says knuckle down, that on the face of it, that's a great pattern, right? The, the knuckle down work hard pattern is a good pattern. The problem is if you're knuckling down on something that's going nowhere and you're just yelling yourself into spending time on it, well, first of all, are you even producing? Like, are you, is your word count going up? Um, are you getting closer to the nut of what it is that you're trying to say? Uh, Are you, in my case, typing at all? Or am I just sitting around feeling bad that I'm not typing? Well, you know what? Can I tell you what the last thing in the world that I would think to do 
that made a difference when I got into that. And do you understand the state that I'm talking about, Dan? I do. The like, n- let's go keep focusing on the, the, the time, the making, the acer, to the exclusion of the getting out. Um, the last thing in the world that I wanted to do, I'm being honest, the last thing I wanted to do was play with my kid because I thought, what a derail. Isn't mm. that awful? I, 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 but my kid that I love more than anything in the world, go watch me cry about her. I, I, but like I'm sitting there, it's two in the morning. I'm sitting there listening to the Wu-Tang Clan on repeat. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, that, what's that one song on Triumph? The Belladonna rap? Oh, it's so good. It's, a, it's an underrated record. And I'd be sitting there going like, I've been sitting here listening to Wu-Tang Clan. I've typed a little bit and I haven't done a lot. And you know what, what I probably should have done? You know, should have bought dinner. <laughs> I should have gone home like an adult and gone to sleep and got up at 6.10 and sat on the floor and played with my kid. This is not, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to play that card except to say that's what I needed. What I needed was a different use of my attention. Yeah. For you, that might be Facebook sometimes. But like we said, you know, a couple episodes ago, you got to know when to stop looking at Facebook and go back. Inspiration in some ways the 10-minute walk, guys, can I just say the 10-minute walk, the last thing in the, in the world, like if you get mad, well, and so, so again, Dan, another aspect of that let's work hard on this and stay up all night part, um, I think that not taking a break part becomes so corrosive so quickly and that accretes into more corrosiveness so, so quickly because yeah. now at this point, you're yelling at yelling in my case. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, like you're being so unhumane uh, to yourself. You're, you're, you're really stifling every creative impulse by yelling at yourself. And man, to me, that becomes very emotional because now there's no way out of that. You're, you're in a, an impossible thistle at that point. And when you get better at it, as I 0.01% have in the last few months, I know, take a walk, right? So there's a post I did a while back. There's two posts of mine. I'm embarrassed, so embarrassed to this. What I call, oh, Jesus, I, Hack your way out of writer's block. Oh, it's so annoying. Stu- Why is that annoying? It's a stupid title. I hack. It's not really hacking. It's writing your way out of writer's block. Hack. I just use that word because it's a word I used to use. Stupid. Ugh, hack. You're hacking nothing. Um, but there are some good ways to do that. So if you go and look at that, you know, hack your way out of writer's block, which I really am tempted to go rename right now. Um, you know, there's just some pretty good things in there for, for getting your way out of writer's block. Yeah, go right the middle instead of the beginning. Go do a chore. Uh, go sweep the floor. Um, listen to some new music. Like for me, one reason I don't listen to NPR so much anymore, in addition to the fact I don't like it very much anymore, is that it's hard for me to listen to voices when I'm writing. So I might put on uh, Meadowlands by the Wrens. To be honest, Color in the Shape by Foo Fighters. It's a record I really, really, really like and I know by heart. Reckoning by R.E.M. I'm not saying you should listen to these, but listen to your version of that. Listen to a record you've heard so many times that you don't, you know what I mean? I would not sit down and listen to Trout Mask Replica to get started on a draft unless that works for you. But do you know what I mean? Listen to something very familiar, maybe, or listen to something really foreign. Get, buy into that BS and go listen to Baroque music about how that makes you, you know, I don't know, write like Mozart or whatever. Make fart jokes like Mozart. Um, like I say, get away from the computer. Go out and write someplace new. Uh, force yourself into a place that's unfamiliar. Um, boy, one of the very few benefits of the quote-unquote go buy a new notebook thing I do this sometimes downtown, to be honest. I'll go downtown, I'll leave my computer at home, and I'll go and I'll buy a new pen and a new inexpensive notebook. And uh, there's something, again, total, total cost, 
you know, um, because it does give me a fresh start. But then I do have to go to sit down and write, you know. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing that every week. But do what you need to do. Try different things, but don't just try new things. Do you know what I mean? Again, back to that original idea, um, the inspiration we should round back to this because it, it ends up being important. But inspiration is great for keeping you moving forward or, or expanding. I don't think inspiration, you can, I don't think you can count on inspiration. It's weird to me that so many of the people who complain about distractions are the same people who are constantly craving inspiration. If that is not instructive to you, it needs to be instructive to you. Because you don't really understand what a distraction is and you don't really understand what inspiration is. Distractions are... Distractions are on some level, um, I think in, in an ideal world, it's best to think of a distraction as something that you don't have control over that's trying to steal your attention. Calling the internet a distraction is a little bit facile. Um, if you care really a lot, a lot, a lot about what you're doing right now, you won't have any problem ignoring the internet. If you are having problems ignoring the internet and you consider it a distraction, then you need to ask yourself why that is. How much, well, yeah, on an intellectual level, do you need more information? Do you need more Facebook right now? Well, you know. I mean, if you're, if you're doing your favorite thing, you're not thinking about something else. Nobody needs to set an alarm to masturbate. It doesn't happen. <laughs> you're you're going to, don't worry, it'll come up. Literally, inspiration, literally. <laughs> you don't need to set an alarm for any of that stuff. Um, boy, if that sounds simple-minded, I, you know, I, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. But if... I keep saying this. I said this over and over again on that, that podcast with Dave and Katie, but it does come back to the first care idea. You know, your troubleshooting does not begin at which new distraction-free writing environment should I buy. Your troubleshooting needs to start with what is it I care about right now that's not this thing? Because if you cared about it, there wouldn't be distractions. You know, when, when you and your lady are, are you know, doing, doing the things that you like to do, you know, do you find yourself checking Facebook? Well, boy, you got at least two problems and probably a third one. You're going to get like a Snuffy Smith style dishpan to the head, which you really deserve. <laughs> Snuffy Smith. You don't see him as much as you see. Or Barney Google. You just don't see them anymore. Barney Google. Um, so, so calling the internet a distraction <laughs> and then counting on your distraction-free writing environment to ameliorate that. Hey, let me just say, I use full screen mode on stuff all the time because I just want to see my words. That's not an excuse. That's why I use it. But, but I do push out a fair number of words too, right? Um, I, think, I think the next distraction, to make a really successful distraction-free writing environment, I think it should have a, a giant word count that it makes you look at every week. And I think it should draw a graph that shows you now that it's removed all those distractions, how much more writing you're doing. That would be really, really useful. You know, I got to tell you, Buster's site, 750 words. I think it's still up. I think this is, if you're, you know, if you're thinking that crap's going to help you, go to... 750words.com, because this is actually pretty great. So Buster Benson, who used to be Eric, <laughs> uh, used to be at, uh, well, what was that annoying name? 43 Things. He's off doing his own thing now. Super interesting right. guy. Go to 750words.com. And it's very much based on the artist's way, right? On this morning pages. It says so right here on this page that I'm reading. Uh, and the idea is you sign in for Facebook and you write 750 words a day on this web page. It's pretty neat. Now, I hear you. You're going, wow, how am I going to get that into my novel? How am I, why, why, why can't I change the font? Why, you know what? Shut up. There you go. <laughs> There's your inspiration. Shut up. Go write 750 words a day. When you write 750 words a day, you get to change the font. How's that? There's your ribbon. Yeah, you get a ribbon. <laughs> Congratulations. You've been inspired. You're not allowed to be inspired until you write more. Then, then you're allowed to be inspired. 
You know, uh, when you write, the inspiration comes. The inspiration is not going to make you write. So go there, sign up, and try it. Uh, it's really educational, you know, in the same way that running Rescue Time can be really educational. Oh, I don't regard myself as somebody who looks at Twitter all day. Well, Rescue Time does, and it's watching what you do on the computer, so it will tell you if that's who you are, right? Um, there's other apps like that, but that's a pretty good one. Um, but try 750 words, and, and then go find out. So, so on the one hand, yeah, distractions, well... Okay, how do you ameliorate distractions? Well, yes, first care. Uh, in other ways, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, full screen writing environment, not a bad thing. I, I love writing on Nebulous and Notesy and um, Elements on my phone, especially as I go into it length with David. David and I are just totally hyper gay for Nebulous because it has these macros. So when I'm actually doing functional writing, when I'm writing things with links and stuff, I have macros that make that easy. Well, what, I'm not, am, I, am I removing distractions or am I removing friction? I'm removing the barrier to getting started and I'm removing the barriers to getting, you know, moving forward. Again, not to say that I'm great at this. I'm just saying that once you start writing a lot, you start worrying less about distractions and you start, start thinking about that in a more muscular and transitive way in the sense of saying, well, it's not really going to be so much about distractions. It's going to be more about me refusing to allow things to distract me. So no, sure. You can unplug your router if that helps. If that works, great. If it doesn't work, stop acting like it works. But then also, you know what? Turn off your phone um, and, and, uh, and, and maybe, maybe make yourself develop that muscle. Work the taint, right? If you get better at that, then you're, you're not going to have to be scared of routers anymore. Okay, so anyway, enough said about distractions. Now, as far as the inspiration stuff, um, oh, what are other distraction ways? Um, menu Eclipse, Menu Shade, great things that will black out your menu. There's a whole MacBreak video about this, you know, how I, how I made my desktop go away. Um, great David Allen quote uh, that, uh, boy, I, I just think this is terrific. Yeah, and I will paraphrase it. Uh, David Allen says that the pro real problem with all this stuff is not information overload. If it were, every time you walked into a library, your head would explode. Because there's so much information in a library. There's an untenable, unreadable amount of information. Oh my God, I have to shut off the library so I can write this. No, it's just very well-defined information that's well-organized. And also all those books aren't open at the same time. For everything great in terms of attention spending that the internet brings us, the downside is it is very easy to look things up. Um, tell you a neat thing, I think this is part of Brett Terpstra's Blogsmith blogging um, bundle in TextMate, something I was using just this morning, I, using seconds ago, before I, not seconds now, 43 minutes ago in prepping for this podcast, uh, in his, uh, I think it's in his Blogsmith blogging bundle, it's an add-on to Markdown, uh, I don't even have to have a browser open to add links, okay, so if I type brackets with words in it, the caret is right of the right bracket, and I hit tab, it says, basically, do you want to do a search on this? Yeah. Have you done this? It's, it's insane. And so I say, yeah, go ahead and search on what? At last, the 1948 show. And it goes, and thinks for a minute and then presents a list of all the things in order of Google PageRank that it found that match that. And it's almost always number one. So you hit the number one and you've now found your link. You no longer have any excuse <laughs> to look at the internet when you're writing. Uh, Cory Doctorow had a great post about this about a thousand years ago where, you know, he's a very productive writer. I don't love everything he writes, but he's a very productive writer. Has one of the tightest clutches attention-wise of anybody I've ever met. Amazing in terms of applying his attention at will. Great at it. Um, and one of the things he says is, you know, again, learn to love, I don't know if this is his words. I think I might have learned this from Danny O'Brien, but the words TK, right, to come. I have a, I always use the words in caps, TK, TK, TK. 
because that's totally greppable. I can find anywhere where I need information to come. As he likes to say, don't stop writing to go look up the length of the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Just say TK length of bridge. Oh my gosh, I can't. I need to find out. Well, you know what you're going to do, dude? You're going to go search on the Golden Gate Bridge. You're going to learn that somebody, one person a month, used to jump off the bridge until they stopped announcing that people were jumping off the bridge. Then you're going to learn that it was built in 1935 at the same time as the Bay Bridge. Why do I know these things? Because you wasted the time to look, look it up. I used to look things up on Wikipedia. Yeah. But anyway, are you getting the, that specific tip? I don't know if that was obvious yeah. enough. You type no, I got it. it. Brett, again, if you guys are using that, Brett, who's, yeah, everybody should be reading Brett's site. Yes, Brett, this is the third time you've been mentioned on a famous podcast. Blog it. God, I love you, Brett. The, um, <laughs> I love Brett so much. I cannot say enough great things about what he is shipping that helps people with stuff. He's written some services from Markdown Boy, you know, Brett Terpstra is like a one-man, you're not allowed to complain about distraction factory. Uh, could you please hyphenate that and put it in quotes? I, <laughs> seriously, I mean, stuff like you can now run, you can do markdown with your own commands, custom commands, and pretty much everything, thanks to these services he's written for OS X. And his blogs with Blogging Tumble, obviously I don't use a, a lot of it because I don't, I'm not at, you know, whatever, Weblogs Inc. or whatever. Um, but boy, it's, it's an outstanding package for anybody who has to write markdown, partly because of that. So again, again, nerd tip. Things like it'll, if you have references, and I like to do my markdown references usually, I usually do them like right after the paragraph that includes them um, in multi-markdown in my case. And it's really easy to go link. You just, you hit a, you hit a thing, you just hit it and you get this pop-up menu with, do you want to link to this thing? Do you want to do that? You, it's, uh, I think it's options, option shift W, I want to say. Um, anyway, go check that out. Things like that. You know what? There's plenty of answers out there for, for distraction. There's plenty of answers out there for inspiration. And uh, the trick is not that you need more of them. It's that you need to use the ones that are there and that you need to push out enough stuff, even having done just a little bit of stuff, that, that you'll find out what you need next. And, and so that specific exa- example that I had from 20 minutes ago, um, science and research. You know, if, if you just sat in the lab all night, there's this great thing on letters of note this week. Fantastic thing to follow. Letters of note, just wonderful letters and correspondence people have written. Google it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and <laughs> it was this, kind, I guess, kind of famous letter about a guy who ran a lab at, a, I think, a California university and basically ragging this guy's worth at, work ethic because he wouldn't come in on weekends and stuff like that. Well, that's exactly a great way to get really burnt out. You know, doctors. I don't know how physicians do it. I don't know how physicians go through residency and just don't sleep, but I guess it's a thing they do. Maybe they're younger. Yeah, I guess so. And it's, I think it's a matcha thing, personally. That can't be great for patient care. I, I mean, they'll say it is, but I think that's probably BS. Uh, doctor. And, <laughs> but, um, what was my point? My point is that like, in, when you're in science and research, boy, talk about somebody who has to iterate and oscillate between time and attention. Yeah. You got to go work really hard, but if you never look at your results, if you never look at how much the results square against your hypothesis, if you don't go read updated scholarship to find out if somebody else solved this problem, do you, do you follow? Yeah. You got to w- go work really hard with your time, but then you also have to go retrain your attention dynamically according to what you're finding out and what's out there in the world. And again, you have to synthesize all of that. And, and what, what, I, what struck me this morning as I was writing that was just how interesting it is that just making a plan for something, oh, here's my plan, I'm going to go do this and this and this, really almost sets you up for a fall if you plan too far ahead because you don't account for what you're going to learn along the way as you iterate. By which I just mean, as your attention rewards you with what you should spend your time on, your time will then, in turn, reward you with what you should go pay more attention to. And you'll just keep going back and forth in a way you're not even thinking about anymore, right? 
I mean, think about just cooking macaroni and cheese or cooking something in your kitchen. Like you go, you go between the stove and the recipe book without feeling distracted. The, the attention of looking at the recipe book tells you what you should do when you're back at the stove. You don't need a distraction-free cooking environment. You just do that because you understand how a kitchen works. Right. The reason you're looking for a distraction-free anything is because you still don't really understand how your writing works. Right? Um, and so, okay, so I don't know, Dan. Is this, is this useful at all? I think it's very useful. Yeah. You say you always say that. You've never told me something is not useful, and that makes me not trust you. No, I'm kidding. I trust you. <sighs> Inspiration. Um, I did a series. I'm not a big fan of uh, New Year's resolutions. Because I think if you're still doing New Year's resolutions, it's proof that your New Year's resolutions haven't worked because otherwise you'd already be doing it, right? Anything that's a good idea, you'd already be doing it if you were good at it. The fact is you'll never do it because you're relying on things like a calendar to tell you when it's time to do it. So I'm, personally, that's for me, that's been true. And for you, it's been true too, if you're honest. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing them. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's like it would be like becoming like a crutch collector, like, ah, I need these crutches to learn how to walk, and therefore I've opened this personal crutch museum. And the fact that I'm getting these constant new crutches is helping me. Like, obviously I can't walk because I still need to use my crutches. And it's like, well, maybe you'd walk more if you quit <laughs> collecting crutches. <laughs> With that said, I had this series a few years ago called Fresh Starts and Modest Changes. And I think that's the key. Rather than worrying in terms of like the actual inspiration of what helps you produce – I believe, in terms of my own, what's been successful for me is what I, instead of resolutions, I would say fresh starts and modest changes. There's a wonderful Thoreau line about being aware of, of being, be, uh, be aware of all enterprises that require new clothes. And I think a New Year's resolution is a version of buying new clothes, right? Unless it's a hot nurse outfit, like it's probably not going to, you know, do much for you. <laughs> Unless that actually does make you a hot nurse and it helps good for patient care and for intercourse, you know? And really, isn't that the total package? You know, with our health system the way it is. Uh, so what's a fresh start? Well, a fresh start is, well, first of all, be nice to yourself. Like, stop yelling at yourself. Like, I can yell at you. I don't know you. Seriously. Like, I, I'm not actually talking to you. This is just your computer. Just so you know. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't actually know this is you. So, uh, but, but when you yell at yourself, that really doesn't help. You've got to give yourself a break. And so a fresh start, again, that can be something like, if a cafe works for you, go to a cafe. Be careful because there's just a lot of losers sitting around in cafes not actually writing. Like, you see a lot of Facebook on those screens. So, you know, beware. Also, also be careful with their Wi-Fi because people are sniffing that for cookies. It's happening. Um, go somewhere though. I, I like going to this this uh, <laughs> this kind of this park near our house. I like going downtown and sitting somewhere I've never sat before. I like well, let me let me ask you something. You mentioned yeah. this kind of thing, Merlin. Why? Why does that work for you? Why does changing the scenery, going somewhere different, going somewhere that's a, a public place? And I hear this a lot. There are a lot of writers who who do this. A lot of really great writers do this. They'll go somewhere where there are other people, where there's noise, where there's distraction, and some of them do their best work there, as opposed to. You know, you hear about the other writers who are just like they're alone in their house or alone in yeah, the, in fact they have to be alone. Prof- they're called professionals. <laughs> <laughs> or Stephen King who blares classic rock music and can't be interrupted for, you know, twelve hour benders, you right. know, or at least before, while he was while he was healthy, that's how it used to be. You know, it's true. And I think Jackson Pollock did that too. There's a lot of people that, that play the play play really loud music. And I I mean to me that's I was gonna say I'm just writing down here what you said. I think there's there's two really important things to what you're asking here. Uh, the second one um is is the blaring music part. Well, here's the thing. You will have something like that that you discover. You know, and Twyla Tharp, her book opens with talking about how she goes to the gym at five every day um, because that's a thing that she does. And as soon as she's put on her shoes and gotten in the cab, she's kind of actually done the thing that she needed to do, which was get out of the house. 
It's a MacGuffin, right? But she does. She goes to the gym and she gets hot. She needs to be hot when she works. She can't be cold. You know, she's a dancer. She's got to be warm. And so, but I don't know if that makes sense, but like for her, she's learned that it is a MacGuffin. She knows it's a MacGuffin. But when she's put on her shoes and gotten in the cab, she knows that it's on. Right, something has now something has flipped, and she knows that it's on. Yeah, Stephen King, he listens to really loud, like I think like ACDC and stuff like that when he writes. Yeah, yeah, and that works. Like Stephen King has published a bunch of novels. Now, what's the obvious thing Merlin's going to yell at you about here? Don't think that buying an ACDC CD. <laughs> I just bought one just now. So. <laughs> Did you just do that? You just know now. You know what's pretty good is uh, Hell's Bells. How, I was going to say Highwood Hell is good. I used to be a Dirty Deeds guy, um, but they're good. They're good. I was a Bon Scott guy. But um, the thing is, don't think that buying the ACDC app, I know you're not thinking that because, or you're not going to admit it, but you need to find out what your version of that is. But you'll find out which record you should buy after you write more, right? And like, seriously, for me, like listening to the Wrens, for some reason, or weirdly enough, like sitting and putting um, Everlong. Yeah, if I put Everlong on repeat, I can't tell you why. Um, Everlong by uh, Foo Fighters and Smothered in Hugs by Guided by Voices, and uh, if I really need to concentrate, Autobahn by Kraftwerk. For some reason, those, uh, uh, don't act like this is going <laughs> to make you anything. I'm just saying, I know that when I need to concentrate, I can put Everlong on repeat. And for some reason, I write more. And I think that could be because I just really like Everlong, but I think it's mainly because now I'm allowed to write. I did that thing that I know works. Yeah, it's a superstition. Maybe for you that's an ashtray or your, your freaking Tom Waits hat. I don't know what it is. Maybe you just need to put on your special tumbler underwear so you can write next to your cigarettes. Good luck with that. But you will find that out. Um, but to your point, Dan, yeah. I mean, I think, I think writers are very superstitious. I think most creative people are superstitious. Oh, gosh, I wish I could cite this. Somebody was talking about why it is that batter, batters, you know, people are superstitious about batting and not as superstitious about fielding. And it's because you have so much more control over fielding than you do over batting, if you think about it, right? Like, there's that whole thing of, like, you might not, and obviously you do both if you're a baseball player, I'm told. Um, I didn't do either. I, I struck out a lot and dropped balls a lot, so I'm not a great test case. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's all this stuff about, like, I'm not going to shave or, or wash these socks if I'm on a hitting streak. Right. I don't think there's that many people who go, like, I caught the ball, like, I get a treat. <laughs> Because that part's pretty mature, right? Fielding, you just work really hard on fielding. But like every pitcher is different. Every ballpark's different. Like hitting it out of the park at Fenway is going to be really different than hitting it out of the park at whatever the initials are for it here in San Francisco this week. Um, I think it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know, ITT or something this week. But um, does that make sense, Dan? Not for the part two, but for the part yeah. one. Um, this is kind of superstition related. Why do, why do writers and other people go places? I, I have to be honest. There's so many times I haven't writ, written in the place that I'm sitting right now. <laughs> it's not that I failed. I mean, I've written a lot of great stuff here too, I like to think. But there's a lot of times I haven't written here. And sometimes that's top of mind that I sit down and I go, gosh, this is a place I don't write a lot. And like any kind of habituation, I think there's something in my brain that goes, well, maybe you should try somewhere where you haven't not written yet. And that makes me go to a, a seat in the park that I've never been to. Or it makes me go to sit on the wall by the bank. Or it... You know, in some cases, I sit on the steps by the high school. Don't be creepy. And, and like that, <laughs> but do you follow? I think that's why it is, Dan. I think, and for me, gosh, I wish I was better at that. We're better at that. I wish I were somebody who had gotten so good at it that I could know that when the coffee dings, that means I've already written 500 words. 
No, but don't you, in a way, see going to these different places, doing these different things almost as, I mean, I, I get that you're saying that it works for you, right. but don't you also feel like it's a liability? I mean, shouldn't you be able to just walk into the room, sit down, turn on the computer and start typing? I, I should, but in the same, but I, I should, I should be able to do a lot of things. The, 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 the liability is, 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 um, what is it? They say the definition of insanity is, is, you know, doing something the same way and expecting different results. I think the yeah. liability is doing that kind of, you know, juju, having it not work. Wait, what did you call me? Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, ben Juju. Sorry. <laughs> ben, 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 Juju, Ruth, Joshua, <laughs> Judges, Kane, uh, Abel. All of a sudden, I'm a Bob Dylan song, and I don't know why. <laughs> Every book I know from the Old Testament, Uzziah, Hosea, and the book you don't read, Elijah, Elijah, Den Benjamin, five by five. <laughs> da, 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 da. And so uh, my thinking is uh, that you're right. It does become a liability. Uh, a, a book I... I remember loving this book in college, and I, and I reread it a few years ago, and it was way squirrelier than I remembered, but still a kind of interesting book called A Writer's Time. And this guy has the most crazy fetishistic system for exactly how you should write like a book. It's really – it's kind of odd. But, but he does get to a, a good point in it, which is – in his case, he talked about his – I think I'm cribbing from him in this case is the ashtray. When he quit smoking, it became hard for him to write. Some writers, when they quit smoking or get treated for depression, they can't write anymore. Mm. Robert Lowell started writing some really bad poems after he finally gratefully got treated for, uh, no, I'm sorry, in his case, it was, um, it was, it was manic depression. I mean, he would start, you know, directing the symphony every spring. Basically he left his wife and lost his mind. Uh, and it was sad. It was hard. But then he wrote the dolphin, which is a, just a terrible book with all respect. I would go with, uh, Lord Weary's castle or, um, life studies. If you want to roll Lowell. Scott Simpson and one other person will find that interesting. And so uh, you're right. It's a total liability. If you start needing your ashtray to write, well, then you're going to have problems because, you know, but on the other hand, if you can write with an ashtray, you're better off than somebody who can't write with anything, right? If you need that picture from Tumblr, well, okay, then get that. But then write, you know, that really seriously. Um, And then eventually, boy, this is true. We talked about this with the meditation, right? You know, like, you know, first there's a mountain and there wasn't a mountain, something, something. In your case, yeah, in our case, yeah, you want to concentrate on the breathing. But then as you've said very eloquently, eventually you stop noticing the breathing and you're just meditating. Right. Right? Um, but even though I'm not great at it yet, I will tell you this. Um, inspiration about work ethic is a great thing. Uh, and inspiration about wanting to produce words is a good thing. And inspiration about wanting to produce different and more interesting words is good. I apologize if, if, if word, you know, make that dollar sign what you make, right? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, good for, it's good for, what's the third one? I would say it's good for making better words, right? Like, when I realized that, don't tell him I said this, but when I realized that John Gruber knew that my site existed, I got really scared. Because I could sit and shuck and jive all I wanted until I realized John Gruber had read my site. And that scared the pants off me. Um, because he really is, like I said in that video, he's probably the best writer I've ever met. Um, I forgot about Kurt Vonnegut, and I should have accounted for that. But, but, but no, John is just an outstanding writer. You can say all you want and say all you want, but A, he's right a lot, and B, he checks his facts, and C, he fixes it when he's wrong. And you don't, probably. <laughs> Journalists. <laughs> um, oh, but seriously, he's a craftsman. You know, uh, Whether you agree with him or not, he doesn't write bad sentences. 
And uh, I, I, I admire that so much, you know. Um, might have been Stephen King who said this. I don't remember, but no, no, I take it back. I know exactly who said it, William Zinser, in a terrific book that helped my writing so much called On Writing Well. Um, and he says, he says writing is like, it's like building furniture, right? And, you know, at this point, I'll start shucking and jiving. You know, the pieces need to fit together. It needs to be a chair. It, it, we know what a chair looks like, and it needs to be well-made, and you need to not look at it and go, that, that shit's going to break when I sit on Sorry. That going to break when I sit on it. <laughs> right? That's not a good yeah. chair. If yeah. you're a good writer, you're really a good craftsman. You're really a good carpenter, right? Uh, it's become fashionable to slag on Strunk and White, which I think is a real shame. But there's a wonderful quote that, and they're ironically enough coming from me. The section omit unnecessary words, right? They say something just as a machine should have no unnecessary parts, and a drawing should have no unnecessary um, lines. You know, what, what an elegant way to put that. Your writing should have no unnecessary words. You know, favor, favor, favor you can disagree. Favor, favor the, uh, you know, uh, English over the Latinate. I think, yeah, keep it short if you can. That's a tip. But uh, until you get good at it and then use all the words you want, you know. Uh, at Webstock, God, Gruber, one of my favorite writers, he used this example of Cormac McCarthy in talking about why the Hig is dead. And God, Cormac McCarthy, it's, God, it's, 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 he's like Faulkner. It's kind of hard to read a lot of his stuff. Or it's like Voorhees. It's just so exhausting to read because it's so dense. But he showed this wonderful, wonderful paragraph from the first chapter of No Country for Old Men. Not his best book, but a very, very, very good book. And uh, it's almost inscrutable sentence. The man does not use punctuation like you're supposed to. He doesn't use tense the way you're supposed to. Like Joyce, he will suddenly lapse into these things where you're going, wait, who's saying this? What is this about? You know, I just, I want to go take a nap. This is too much to read. Well, just in the same way that, you know, Picasso could draw you and make you look like a technical illustration level of detail. He could do that. It's just that he's saying more with the Demoiselles of Avignon, right? Cormac McCarthy um, could probably write just a pretty great subject-verb-object sentence. You know, I've got a feeling he knows what a period is. But he's gotten so good at it that he can now, God, he can write something like Blood Meridian, which is just a staggering novel. I, I, I've read parts of it and I still can't finish it because it's so rich. Mm. William Faulkner, go read, go read the first paragraph of Absalom, Absalom. You know, where, where Rose is sitting there with the curtains drawn. And it's, I think it's, <laughs> I know it's over 100 words. I want to say over 200. The first sentence of the book is, is longer than a, some people's short stories. But it's so effective because William Faulkner, drunk that he was, wrote so much and so often. And he had so much mastery of that that he could break the rules. And, and I, um, I got really off topic. Uh, but again, now we're talking about really senior and graduate level stuff. But, but you know, Cormac McCarthy can do that because he's written a lot. He can, he can have that style because he's done it enough. What's the anti-pattern? Going and reading Cormac McCarthy, or in my case, Kurt Vonnegut, and thinking that aping that style is going to help me become them. What will help me become me, and I'm still figuring this out, like, like anyone who makes things, is, is was doing something a lot. And in my case, forcing myself with 43 folders to like write way more than I was capable of writing for a while was really good for me because it forced me to realize, and now I go back and I read that stuff. I'm like, oh God, I just, it's so bad. But I write the most when I'm writing the most. I write the least when I'm thinking about writing. I write the least when I'm writing the least. And, and no amount of inspiration changes that. We should link to that talk I did at Max FunCon a couple years ago. 
Uh, I think it's called With All Due Respect to the Seduction Community. And that's about the four, what I consider the four things you need to get started with anything, right? So I forget what they are, but it's something like the first one is really just start, like start moving your hand. The second one is to restart, like never letting, like the second day when you come back and you're like, this sucks, or you forget, or you're tired, or you want to jerk it. No, just keep doing that. And if you do that every day, the taint builds, like you will get stronger and you will get better at that. What was the third one? Merlin Mann talks about the process of doing creative work and yeah. particularly how to abandon the quest for perfection, get off your butt and get started. It's pretty good. And there's lots of comments from people who are mad, people from the seduction community. But I don't know. They're all mad. I guess they borrowed their mom's computer. Um, God, I <laughs> that stuff so much. And the, but the, what was the fourth one? The fourth one is like start getting better, right? But, it's, but the real starting, I mean, what's the point in all of that from my point of view? And, you know, again, you're free to disagree with me. You're free to not listen to this. But inspiration is a terrible way to get started with anything. Um, because if, if you were already started, you wouldn't need inspiration. That's not a tautology, right? If you already were able to start things, then, then why would you need inspiration? You don't need inspiration to masturbate. You don't need inspiration to play those video games you love. You do fine. You know why? Because you really, really, really want to masturbate. And you really, really, really love those video games. You intensely love those. You think you love writing. But if your fingers aren't moving and making the clackety noise, you're not actually writing. And you probably don't like writing. I have days where I don't like writing. And I don't. And I feel bad about it. But the next day, if I sit down and just start typing, the words fall out. And I think that's what you need to do. I'm very inspired by reading Stephen King. I, I love the guy's writing. Um... You know what else I love about Stephen King? I, I love that on writing, it's this wonderful, I mean, like, it's such a good book. I can really, really recommend it. And the audio book, also fantastic. You start reading this book and he starts talking about, like, his childhood and being stung by a bee and, like, all these stories about being kind of, a, you know, a poor kid. And you're going, what in the hell does this have to do with writing? Not in spoiler alert, but, you know, and he goes on and on. I think maybe more than half the book. And then there's a section that I won't spoil for you. And then he goes into, I think he calls it the writer's toolbox. And he's just such a lucid thinker on this stuff. You know, again, you know, he's, you can love his stuff or not. I mean, frankly, it what's funny, but the reason, the reason I brought this up is one of his things is avoid adverbs. And that really is good advice. Yes, that's fine. Whatever. Use adverbs if you're great at it. He noted sparingly. I hate it in my daughter's books when they say anything but said for attribution. It makes me insane. Really, Why is that? Because you never need attribution other than said. What will they say in the book? Oh, well, because they're children's writers and they think they need to be florid. They say, uh, Thomas, Thomas peeped happily. Well, if Thomas <laughs> peeped, he's probably happy. Did you need to say that? Why don't you say really happily? <laughs> Why don't you say happily peeped really happily? That way I'll know that he was happy. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, show, don't tell. It's a cliche for a reason, gang. Um, if, if I could see that the character was happy, I wouldn't need you to tell me how to feel. My God, that's how you can tell a, a bad screenwriter, somebody who puts like too many writing directions. <laughs> when you, you can tell a crap screenwriter when they submit their first script or their first screen, screen, uh, screenplay, and it's full of stuff where it's shown that they've never produced anything because they put in so much stage direction. Because basically they've been reading shooting scripts, right? They've been reading shooting scripts on the internet. They've read, you know, Cone Brothers scripts like I have and they don't realize it's just their job to write it it's not their job to direct it and you know what children's authors suck a nut you got to stop doing that quit with the attribution stuff see also Elmore James the great uh, sax player 
Sorry, internet guy. I made mad. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, da, 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 what was my point, Dan? Oh, damn, we need to button this up. It's getting late. We got to get into the uh, we got to get into yeah. the after show. Inspiration. Um, um, inspiration. I, you know, I got to say, I, I, I said this earlier in the kind of the third person, um, I think, but or I said it as though I was just saying about other people, but I really am inspired by by people I admire. And I'm inspired by their work because their work is what made me aware that they're alive. But then I'm really inspired by how they do it. Like after you've met John, and, and I kid him a lot, but I mean he's a great pal. And like drinking with John's fun and stuff. But like you would never know from just hanging out with John. You get that John's smart, John Gruber. But what you don't get from John just from hanging out with him is, I mean, he doesn't like correct your sentences all the time or anything. But he's so, such a precise thinker. And that has made me a slightly better writer knowing that he reads my stuff. And when we did our South by South, I mean, uh, Southwest talk, I, I really think about like, if I say this and I, I get this wrong or I put a, don't put a space in OS 10, John will notice that, right? I'm sure, you know, Jacer will notice that, although I don't think he reads my stuff. But, but do, do you know what I mean, Dan? Once, once I became aware that, that you knew I existed, that made me a little nervous. And I've had people say this to me. Like I'll have a call with somebody just randomly and they'll be like, I'm really scared to talk to you. And I'm like, that's so weird because I'm so scared. Of everyone else, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Though, but like, yeah, I do. But you know why people write? One reason, I think, one reason people write is because they get they get to be the person they want to be, and the process of drafting lets them be this wild id based version of themselves that just takes a big dump on the page. But then the editing process and the redrafting process lets them perfect um, some version of themselves that they can be happy with. Now, some people do that on Facebook. Um, I do not apologize for saying that. There are some people who are spending the time they should be spending editing their work by trying to edit their hairstyle and a, a flattering photo that will make them look like they don't have a dewlap. And so, you know, you're not really, if you are doing that, you're not allowed to call that distraction. And you're not allowed to call that a need for inspiration and tips. What you are allowed to call that is, is deliberately wasting your time as an adult. And I make no apology for that. I, I, if you, if you want to use Facebook and you can still ship, if you're Jeff Veen or you're Michael Lopp, go nuts. Right. Or there's women who do this too. I'm only ever mentioned, but like, if you're great at that, like if you're, you know what, Heather, Sh Heather Champ is a really great photographer, but she, and she's, you know, she used to be the community director at Flickr, but you know, she got to be a good photographer by taking a lot of photos, not by being inspired. She inspired me. And then I got to be a slightly better photographer, but yeah, stealing some of her tricks and looking at her photos. But like my pictures of shoes are still not as good as Heather's pictures, pictures of shoes, like shoes that people left on the street. She's great at that. It's got humanity and personality. You know, Chris Class takes a picture of a sign at a restaurant. It makes me want to cry, probably because my medication's not balanced. But he can do that <laughs> because he knows what should be in the frame. And, but he didn't get that just from buying Ansel Adam bo Adams books, right? I mean, <laughs> Ansel Adams had a pretty costly setup to get those photos and a lot of, you know, time and assistance. Yeah. Uh, it's the taking 100 photos a day that makes you a better photographer. God, I thought this was going to be the inspiration episode, Dan. How can we inspire people in the last couple of minutes? Um, I think you already did. I think you yeah. underestimate yourself. Yeah, I do. I do. It's, uh, it's called Sandbagging. Um, inspiring books. There's a few books that I like a lot. <laughs> I, 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 over the years, I've gotten more into books that are about the mechanics and the implementation of inspiration rather than the production of it. Um, so, I mean, for, my, for myself, there are books about writing in particular that I think are really great. I mean, like I said, On Writing by Stephen King. I've talked about this a lot. You've heard, heard me say all of these before, but in case this is your first episode, if you're Stephen King tuning in and you're looking for, uh, for tips on, on writing, um, read your book, On Writing. It's good. 
Natalie Goldberg, Writing Down the Bones, Bird by Bird, Annie Lamont. I'm trying to think of some ones I haven't mentioned before. I haven't talked a lot about on writing well. I had a writing, um, I took this class in college called The Nature of Modern Physics. It was taught by a physicist, and it basically was for liberal arts majors who didn't know math. And, you know, we read Einstein, and we read Baker, and we read all those people, and I developed my extremely perfunctory understanding of a thing that I don't really understand. But it wasn't my English lit teacher that told me I wasn't a particularly good writer. It was not my 20th century painting teacher, whom I loved, that told me I was a not very good writer. Um, it was, an Aus- I think, Austrian or German physics teacher that told me I wasn't a very good writer, right? Kurt Vonnegut has talked about this. Kurt Vonnegut used to say that if you want to go find the best writers at Cornell University, you know, <laughs> don't go to the literature department. Go to the science department. Mm. Um, and he sent me to the writing tutor. I, I thought that was the most galling thing in the world. To me, that, gosh, that would be like, you know, what? Sending somebody who thought they were great at, great at writing to a writing teacher, I guess. And this woman worked my butt off. She gave me all these writing assignments on top of all my – sometimes she let me slide by saying, okay, this five-page paper for this class can be your rewrite this week. But she made me, first of all, read On Writing Well by William Zinsser, and then she made me write a lot. And I didn't become a good writer, but I became a less crappy writer, and I became aware of why my writing was crappy. And I didn't do it just from reading that book. I came from, I came from reading that book and then being kind of forced – to confront that badness through perpetual, constant writing and rewriting. Do, do you know what I mean, Dan? Yes. Have you ever read that book? You ever read On Writing? You, did you read that for school? No, I've never read that book. Do you have a, do you have a few favorite books that you would consider good at getting, for getting better at stuff or for quote-unquote inspiring? No. You know it's a good one? The Making of Star Wars. You ever look at that, the big, thick book? I looked at it in the, in the bookstore, the new one. It's relatively new, right? There's a new one on um, Empire Strikes Back, but... Um, somebody was kind enough to give me this for Christmas and um, off my wish list, which was so sweet. And um, Nicole, thank you. And I, I love it. It's this amazing book. The cover is like a, a non-dewlap bearing Lucas and Mark Hamill in his poncho. Have you seen that one? I think it's called The Making of Star Wars. Anyway, um, I think it's official. It's an official Lucasy, you know, Lucas filmy book um, that he'll probably add Jar Jar Binks to later on. <laughs> <laughs> I like a ruined movie, um, but you know what? I for me, I don't, I don't get a lot of inspiration from external sources. Me neither. <laughs> but can I tell you why that one's inspiring? Partly, it's cautionary tale stuff, right? Like it makes you. Really, we might have talked about this on a previous episode. I forget, but um, you realize how? Why is that inspiring? Well, first of all, it's just really cool. My daughter and I love to look at pictures of like you know Anthony Daniels with his little. C-3PO hat off. It's really cool. It's really neat just to see all those. But you see all these guys, these really 70s-looking guys in Tunisia. And at the risk of really oversimplifying this thought, um, I think I'm not the first person to say this. One thing that made Lucas's work less relevant for a lot of us was that he forgot how to tell a story. He forgot about heart, if you like. You know, It, it really, I mean, I don't, I don't want to misstate this because I don't really fully understand this, but I'm going to take a crack. One reason American graffiti and Star Wars were good, and to be honest, I don't think THX 1138 was that great. I mean, I think the first version, the really weird Kubrick ecology version, is actually better just because it's so weird. I don't think there's a lot of heart in that. I think there's a lot of heart in Star Wars, and I'll tell you why. I think he was very tuned into what the story was. I think he didn't have that much money, and I think he wasn't famous enough to ignore people who knew stuff better than him. Mm. And over the years, I've had friends that work at Lucasfilm, and the stories just come up again and again. You know, he's got the Steve Jobs level of arrogance, but he doesn't have the Steve Jobs record at this point, at least not to my mind. He's a great businessman. 
he's a great producer, but I don't I don't think he he personally. I'm, I, I apologize if you're a big fan, George. Um, my, my house is full of Star Wars stuff. I believe. Do you have a Star Wars poster behind you right now, Dan? Is that accurate? Three, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's stipulate we like your old stuff. Um, you know, South Park has covered this. This is not anything new, but I really, I kind of really believe that. I gotta say, I mean, today there's who told me this story. This is kind of inside information, I think, but it's probably known somewhere publicly. You know, he's George Lucas. So he has people, A, like watching stuff for him. He has people on his behalf, like watching DVDs of new stuff. And then he has people go and hire those people that day. If he sees somebody and he likes what they did in this segment, he goes and he hires them. He has the clout and the money and the name and the reputation to, to just go and like the finest people in the business. He's like the Google of, of whatever he does. And now I don't really completely know. He used to make Chewbacca. Now he makes like cartoons with robots, but whatever you follow. Like he can, he, ha, he has unlimited resources. He literally has no constraints and maybe worst of all, he has nobody who tells him when he's off his nut. Right. And at the time was it, did Rick, did Rick, Rick, Rick Baker, did he, he worked on star Wars, right? Or was that just What's- like, I need to. I need to Google that. Well, no, and I, I'm probably confusing. I know. I know he worked on like American Werewolf and stuff like that. But I'm trying to remember. John. Um, oh shoot, who's the like? Did he star? Nerds, nerds, nerds. Who's the famous effects guy? John. Did the, I think it, you're thinking of Rick Baker. Yeah, but no, he's the makeup he, guy. But then who's John? Nerds, please. I don't have the thing open right now. Richard Richard A. Baker yeah. is a makeup artist and second yeah, yeah, production. Yeah, he did American universe. Werewolf and all that. But anyway, my point is that like all the stuff, the people who did the mechanicals, the people who did all that stuff, the people that led to what like three different companies didn't want like two or three different companies created out of the needs of Star Wars. Michael Jackson's Captain EO and and Thriller. Yep. Um, no, he no God, you got to know him. He was on The Simpsons. You got to know him. He's amazing. The transformation scene where, where, where David Naughton's face stretches. Oh, Pretty man. cool. The hand too, where he holds up his oh, hand. He's screaming God. while the hand stretches. Jenny Jenny Agutter's boobs. Those were he, Rick Baker is a genius. Yeah, <laughs> she's pretty. Uh, Logan's Run, Equus. She had the most famous English boobs in the seventies, probably. We'll have to check that. Um, he was surrounded by constraints. He was surrounded by like we only have this many days in Tunisia. He's sur- he was probably surrounded by like I want the robot to do this, and they go, well, we'd have to go build a new dolly to do that. We don't. We can't do that. And so what? Then you got to fall back on the story. <laughs> I don't know if this is completely accurate, but that, boy, let's, how can we wrap this up? Constraints. Constraints are great. I mean, to me, constraints, if you go, uh, go, go Google that thing, uh, procrastination dash, right? Just this idea of only allowing yourself a very short amount of time to work on something. It's something I, I really believe in. Talk about getting started. Okay, do what I call a dash. Here's a good one for you. Here's your tips and tricks. Um, and this is not so different from what a million people recommend, including Natalie Goldberg, including uh, Julia Cameron. But go, 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 go sit down and just set a timer and just keep your hand moving even for a minute or two. The example I give in that post, I think, is if you've been putting off, you know, um, cleaning out your garage, grab one garbage bag, even a small one. You're, you're only allowed to fill one garbage bag. So you always have that light at the end of the tunnel. And you can do that creatively, too, to get started. This is not the way to be a grown-up but it's a good way to be a pretty advanced kid is just to go give yourself a constraint. Well, when, to me, I, I, my gut tells me that when George Lucas lost track of constraints, he lost track of a lot of things. Like he lost, it seems like he lost the ability to have the context for what made his work so compelling in the first place. And you can just go in and see how he's like, you know, you know, just went in and like, luckily he had a pretty good filter for quality control at one point where he could go, okay, <laughs> this scene with, you know, Jabba's not really ready. So let's do this instead, you know? 
I don't know, Dan, you're a nerd. What do you think? That's an open-ended question. Hmm. Is my nerd response. Were you doing something else and I distracted you and you don't really know what my question was? Is that what it was? No. I've listened to this the whole time. And in fact, the people in the in the chat room often ask me that, how I'm able to mm-hmm. well, listen I can tell to you, you and also listen. Sometimes. I'm pretty good at that. I hear people exhaling. I can hear people checking their email. That's fine. If you think that'll stop me, you don't understand me. Dan, Ben, Dan, <laughs> Samson, Samson, Benjamin, Elijah, Hebrews 2, Benjamin. You keep forgetting the big ones. Where's Abraham and Moses in there? No, I don't do Abraham. I'm not Abrahamic anymore. Yeah, Tim Ferriss, he sits around on Abrahamic all day. Well, not all day, four hours a week. I heard he was in the New York Times. I got, my wife told me, I got to check that out. Did you know you can lose 700 pounds in a day by almost dying? Look it up. We should button it up, Dan. All right. I love you. I love you too.